Hello, this is Father Neil here, and welcome to the July 22nd episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we're looking at number 1609 through 1620 of the Catechism. Marriage under the pedagogy of the law. 1609. In his mercy, God has not forsaken sinful man. The punishments consequent upon sin, child, pain and childbearing and toil in the sweat of the brow, also embody remedies that limit the damaging effects of sin. After the fall, marriage helps to overcome self-absorption, egoism, pursuit of one's own pleasure and to open oneself to the other to mutual aid and to self-giving, 1610. Moral conscience concerning the unity and indissolubility of marriage developed under the pedagogy of the old law. In the Old Testament, the polygamy of the patriarchs and kings is not yet explicitly rejected. Nevertheless, the law given to Moses aims at protecting the wife from arbitrary domination by the husband even though, according to the Lord's words, it still carries traces of man's hardness of heart, which was the reason Moses permitted men to divorce their wives. 1611. Seeing God's covenant with Israel in the image of exclusive and faithful married love, the prophets prepared the chosen people's conscience for a deepened understanding of the unity and indissolubility of marriage. The books of Ruth and Tobit bear moving witness to an elated sense of marriage and to the fidelity and tenderness of spouses. Tradition has always seen in the Song of Songs a unique expression of human love, insofar as it is a reflection of God's love, a love strong as death that many waters cannot quench. Marriage in the Lord, 1612. The nuptial covenant between God and his people Israel had prepared the way for the new and everlasting covenant, in which the Son of God, by becoming incarnate and giving his life, has united to himself, in a certain way, all mankind saved by him, thus preparing for the wedding feast of the Lamb. 1613. On the threshold of his public life, Jesus performs his first sign, at his mother's request, during a a a wedding feast. The church attaches great importance to Jesus' presence at the wedding of Cana. She sees in it the confirmation of the goodness of marriage and the proclamation that therefore marriage will be an efficacious sign of Christ's presence. 1614. In his preaching, Jesus unequivocally taught the original meaning of the union of man and woman as the Creator willed it from the beginning. Permission given by Moses to to divorce one's wife was a concession to the hardness of hearts. The matrimonial union of man and woman is indissoluble. God himself has determined it. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. 1615. This unequivocal insistence on the indissolubility of the marriage bond may have left some perplexed and could seem to be a demand impossible to realise. However, Jesus has not placed on the the spouses a burden impossible to bear or too heavy, heavier than the law of Moses. By coming to restore the original order of creation, disturbed by sin, he himself gives the strength and grace to live marriage 
in the new dimension of the kingdom of God. It is by following Christ, renouncing themselves and taking up their crosses, that spouses will be able to receive the original meaning of of marriage and live it with the help of Christ. This grace of marriage, of Christian marriage, is a fruit of Christ's cross, the source of all Christian life. 1616. This is what the Apostle Paul makes clear when he says, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Adding once more, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, and I mean it in reference to Christ and the church. 1617. The entire Christian life bears the mark of spousal love of Christ and the church. Already baptism, the entry into the people of God, is a nuptial mystery. It is, so to speak, the nuptial path, which precedes the wedding feast, the Eucharist. Christian marriage, in its turn, becomes an efficacious sign, the sacrament of the covenant of God, of Christ and the Church. Since it signifies and communicates grace, marriage between baptised persons is truly a sacrament of the new covenant. Virginity for the sake of the kingdom, 1618. Christ is the centre of all Christian life. The bond with him takes precedence over all other bonds, familial or social. From the very beginning of the church, there have been men and women who have renounced the great goods of marriage to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, to be intent on the things of the Lord, to seek to please him, to go out to meet the bridegroom who is coming. Christ himself has invited certain persons to follow him in this way of life, of which he remains the model. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to receive this, let him receive it. 1619. Virginity for the sake of the kingdom of heaven is an unfolding of baptismal grace, a powerful sign of the supremacy of the bond with Christ and of the ardent expectation of his return, a sign which also recalls that marriage is a reality of this present age which is passing away. 1620. Both the sacrament of matrimony and virginity for the kingdom of God come from the Lord himself. It is he who gives them meaning and grants them the grace which is indispensable for living them out in conformity with his will. Esteem of virginity for the sake of the kingdom and the Christian understanding of marriage are inseparable. They reinforce each other. Whoever denigrates marriage also diminishes the glory of virginity. Whoever praises it makes virginity more admirable and resplendent. What appears good only in comparison with evil would not be truly good. The most excellent good is something even better than what is admitted to be good. Okay, so we continue looking at marriage and we get into a little bit into the meat of it today, uh, seeing the, um, the different aspects of the sacrament. Again, the, the difficulty I've, I face is that the catechism is so rich that I could talk on any single paragraph of it, but to try to find something in this, in this section. But it is a beautiful meditation on marriage. Seeing marriage as a vocation, as a way to be Christian. That every one of us is called by the Lord to follow him. And he has a plan for each one of us, but most people are called to marriage. And in this marriage, 
there is the possibility of holiness. Holiness is what we're called to. Every person is called to holiness, is called to draw close to Christ. And marriage is something that can do this for us. It can, yes, definitely, it, it's the, the essential part of the church. It builds up the church. Without marriages, you can't have the church. You know, yes, you need the bishop. Yes, you need the priests, sure. But marriage, without marriages, without families, the church isn't going anywhere. The church will die out. And this is why, and society will die out, and a nation will die out. That's why for a nation to do well, it needs to have healthy families. And when the families disappear, when there are no more children, which unfortunately is happening in many of our Western countries, there are no more kids. A baby is something unusual in some countries nowadays. And know that the marriage is the, the basic cell of society. It's where people come from. And how we can have well-balanced people is through strong families. And this is really uh, making Christ present in the world is a sign of Christ's presence. You know, the fact that uh, it speaks about the, the wedding of Cana and the fact that Christ was at this wedding and there he worked his first miracle at the, um, at the prompting of the Virgin Mary. He works his first miracle there and this gives marriage this... Um, uh, it allows us to see marriage as an efficacious sign of Christ's presence, is what the Catechism says. That it's something that is a, a sign of Christ's presence. In marriage, Christ is present. He is there. And then the whole difference between virginity and marriage, and both are necessary, both are good, and both complement each other. Because ultimately, both of them are to live for Christ, to live for the Lord, because it is impossible to live virginity or to live marriage in a holy way without the presence of Christ. That he is the one that gives us the, the, the wherewithal, the grace to stay faithful. That fidelity is so hard nowadays. Fidelity in marriage, to stay with somebody till death do you part, seems to be nearly impossible. And yet with Christ it becomes possible to remain faithful and not to betray the marriage bond. It may seem very hard, but with Christ it is possible. And the same way as virginity, which is laughable in today's world, as is Christian marriage, it's laughable. Nowadays so often people think of marriage as something that you do after you've settled down, after you've had your kids, after you're... Uh, in a, in a relationship with somebody for 10, 15, 20 years. Then maybe, as you're getting close to retirement, you get married. And uh, this isn't what marriage is about. Again, sure, anybody at any age can get married. And if somebody has been living in, uh, has been living with somebody outside of the bond of matrimony, if they want to take this uh, Christian marriage, it's very good. But that it shouldn't be an, an exception. It should be something really... Um, Something really that we can uh, that we can appreciate, and so today we're um, we're looking at this sacrament, and again it's a beautiful beautiful exposition of the sacrament, and we'll continue tomorrow, and tomorrow we look at number sixteen twenty one through sixteen twenty four. God bless. <laughs>